the Canadian Military History Podcast. Music provided by the Calgary Highlanders. Music of the Calgary Highlanders is available on iTunes. Today my interview is with Lieutenant General Andrew Leslie, CMM, MSC, MSM, CD. General Leslie comes from a family with over 100 years of service to Canada and the Canadian Army. He is the grandson of General Andrew McNaughton, who served in the First World War as an artillery commander, in the Second World War, and also as the Chief of the General Staff and later as the Minister of National Defence. His father commanded the Royal Canadian Horse Artillery during the Korean War. General Leslie joined the 30th Field Regiment in Ottawa while he was studying at the University of Ottawa. He went on to command the 1st Regiment Royal Canadian Horse Artillery in Shiloh, Manitoba, and he was also the commander of the 1st Canadian Mechanized Brigade Group. In 2002, he became the commander of Land Force Central Area, the Army of Ontario, which is now known as the 4th Canadian Division. In 2006, he was appointed the Chief of the Land Staff, in other words, the Commander of the Canadian Army. General Leslie served in the former Yugoslavia as Chief of Staff of Sector South, and he became the Chief of Staff and Deputy Commander of the United Nations Confidence Restoration Operation in Croatia. He was also the Deputy Commander of the International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan in 2003. That organization is known as ISAF. I believe that General Leslie was a tough, and demanding commander who expected nothing but the best. He commanded Land Force Central Area during those post 9-11 days and commanded the Army during some of the toughest days that the Army had to face. Here's my interview with General Andrew Leslie. General Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's very kind of you to invite me. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, So I met you in 2002 during an exercise in Petawawa. You had actually remarked at how well laid out my company was in the ORV before the live fire range. That was an excellent exercise, and I seem to recall uh, almost uh, a dozen rifle companies lined up tip to tip, and artillery going overhead with the armor maneuvering off on the left, uh, helicopters and service support elements behind it was excellent. Well, I think so too. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything quite that scale in recent years. I trust that you've had a chance to review the questions. Unless you have any questions yourself, we should probably begin with the first question. Why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? And was it a foregone conclusion for you or is it something you came to yourself? Because I know you have a long family history of military service. Well, the military has been the family business for several generations, uh, multiple generations. And so unlike my friends who would agonize over what they were going to study at university or what jobs they were going to eventually pursue, I always knew I was going to be a soldier. Um, Having said that, I had long hair and I, um, matter of fact, at one point I had a ponytail and yet everyone in my family and my friends knew that there would come a day when it would all be taken off and I would put on a uniform and go off and do what I do. And that's pretty much what happened. I had a great good pleasure to join the 30th Field Regiment, uh, Reserve Regiment here in Ottawa as soon as I was old enough and uh, 
soon as I was in first year university. I went to the University of Ottawa. I was a little bit too young to go to Royal Military College, and I ended up going there later on for another degree, but uh, I had great fun at University of Ottawa, was able to serve with 38th Field Regiment, and uh, most importantly of all, I met my wife there. Oh, yeah, and I got an education. <laughs> Excellent. So what was the world like when you joined? It was the height of the Cold War, and... Uh, Things were relatively grim. The Russian bear loomed large. The state of the armed forces wasn't great. Uh, resources were just not available. Not a lot of people were rushing to join the ranks of the Canadian forces. Right. And uh, the equipment was in sore need of uh, replacement. So having said all that, the quality and the professionalism of those Cold War warriors was superb. And uh, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by extraordinarily competent, tough senior NCOs, Sergeant Majors, Warrants, who I bumped into many times later on in my career, right from the beginning. I met them first at 30th Field, regular and reserve, and then uh, in the various regiments I was posted to. And what year was that when you joined? That was 1977. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. You already touched on a little bit of what you were like when you joined. You already commented on your ponytail. Is there anything else about what you were like when you signed on the dotted line? Um, I suspect I was much like many young recruits. Despite having known that I was going to be a soldier, I was nervous. I uh, knew that my hair was all going to disappear, but I was still very reluctant to part with it. I was, I thought I was physically fit because I skied and I ran and I played a variety of sports. Little did I know how unfit I really was in comparison to the instructors I was about to meet. I thought I understood military discipline and boy, did I ever underestimate that portion of our profession. So I suspect I was pretty much a typical teenager who thought he knew more than he really did. Wow. Excellent. What is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces, or what is your greatest achievement? Um, I suspect the greatest privilege I had was in commanding the Army for the four years at the height of the Afghan War. And I suspect the greatest achievement, which is not mine alone, but it has to be shared with literally thousands of people, is helping the Army change from uh, a relatively static, peacekeeping-centric organization to something that was much more subtle, that was much more uh, nuanced, that was much tougher and better developed skill sets in the, the whole range of activities you've got to do with in places like Afghanistan or wherever the armed forces is going to go next. In terms of the most fun I had, which is a question you haven't asked, <laughs> that was when I was uh, had the privilege to be the commander of 1st Canadian Mechanized Brigade Group out west, where I was essentially unsupervised with uh, 5,000 soldiers and hundreds and hundreds of vehicles and access to a variety of ammunition dumps. And uh, that was uh, an absolute hoot. And I think the soldiers of one brigade and I had a lot of fun reinvigorating some live fire skills. It's a certain amount of friction after my live fire skills because we consumed a great deal of ammunition. But yes, almost a legendary amount, sir. Um, yes, yes. And a variety of investigations found me almost not guilty. So I think it was well worth it. I believe so. It's, it's still spoken about today. <laughs> Can you tell me who your greatest influence or who the most memorable character of your service was? I would say the greatest influence is, unfortunately, someone who passed away shortly after I joined, and that was my father, who was a gunner like me, and uh, he was a general, and he fought in the Korean War and the Second World War, a paratrooper, hard as nails, but he had a heart bigger than a house. Always spoke softly, 
but imbued in me a sense of history, a sense of duty, the ability to choose between right and wrong. And uh, yet I, I knew he'd always have, have our backs. So if there's any one single influential figure in my life, it was, it was him. Uh, my grandfather's uh, both passed away when I, were quite, when I was quite young, but their memory uh, was uh, very much a living thing for me. In terms of later on in my career, they're all certain majors. The first one of all, the one who sort of sort of was the, the guiding light, if you would, was Mr. Walker, who was the RSM when I was uh, CO1 or CHA. Chief Foreign Officer Ducky Walker, a superb hockey player, one of those quietly competent men who exude professionalism from every pore. And we were together in Shiloh when I was the commanding officer of 1st Regiment, Royal Canadian Horse Artillery. And uh, the wisdom he showed, the patience, the support, and just the ability to quietly get things done and to let me know what was going on without broaching confidence and as well to pass the message unfiltered from me down throughout the senior NCOs net was remarkable and, and he's, he's a lifelong friend. That type of advice is pretty valuable for a commanding officer, especially when you're trying to evaluate the health of your unit and being able to understand how you're going to accomplish the tasks you've been assigned and, and having somebody to talk to you at that level and provide you the advice on how the NCOs are going to support the plan. That's an invaluable resource that you had. Absolutely. And uh, I was quite young. I was, I think I was 34. And, uh, you know, the responsibility of five or 600 soldiers was, uh, is awesome. And so you need that, that source of, of not fatherly, but almost fatherly wisdom that can buttress your good ideas and uh, gently or not so gently point out, uh, don't, don't do that. I've seen what happened before. It, it is unique bond. In my current command team relationship, myself and my brigade commander are fairly close in age. And I've heard it said in the past where there's a benefit of having a greater gap between the commander and his senior chief warrant officer or senior sergeant major, whether it's an OC, a platoon commander, or whether you go up to brigade and, and on. And clearly you benefited from that. I did. Yeah, I did. It's uh, one of the marvelous attributes of the Canadian Army that they can pair the command chain with the chief warrant officer RSMs into what we now call the command team. And then it was an Armored Corps chief warrant officer, Mr. Wonderham, who was my brigade RSM, regimental sergeant major. And this was the first time we'd appointed uh, chief warrant officers to be sergeant majors, brigade sergeant majors. And he was a wise soul, lots of patience. He, in the quiet hours in the turret of our armored vehicle with thousands of people moving at night with no lights or live firing, uh, I learned an enormous amount from him. And that then carried on to the area sergeant major, who was uh, Mr. Gap of the Royal Canadian Regiment. Right. And uh, he was, I first met him in Land Forces Central Area, and then we went to Afghanistan together. And he was literally a godsend. He was, he was the penultimate sergeant major in, in terms of the boots on the ground, rifle in the fist, uh, out on patrol with the lads and lasses. He was a senior mentor on, on my Master Warrant Officer's course, my Infantry Master Warrant Officer course. Yeah, an amazing, an amazing, tough, capable soldier who was once again at a heart of gold. And then it was Chief Warrant Officer Lacroix, who then became the Canadian Forces Chief. A different Chief Warrant Officer Lacroix. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> of course, you're a, you're a great sergeant major, but no, sir. we haven't actually worked together for years. So Greg Lacroix, he could bridge the strategic the operational and the tactical, uh, as loyal as the day is long, uh, a, a very wise counselor and advisor. And um, 
And lastly, Wayne Ford, Chief Foreign Officer Wayne Ford, the Army Sergeant Major who replaced Mr. Wacquois after Mr. Wacquois got moved up to become the Chief of the Canadian Forces. Mr. Ford and I grew very close. We were together for uh, three years. And uh, in that time, there were numerous tragedies where we welcomed home and mourned for the many fallen that happened on our watch and the grievously injured at the height of the Afghan war. And we went on patrol together and he'd carry a rifle. He was always behind me in the patrol line. And I knew that if there was unpleasantness, he would literally and figuratively always have my back and uh, a source of wisdom and advice. And uh, he never was shy of telling me in private when he thought I'd done something that I shouldn't have. Right. Uh, and he was always an incredibly valuable sounding board to, to bounce ideas off of that we would then kick around and sort of create together. So in terms of my professional development, my father and those chiefs are what sticks in my mind. Now, there's many, many others, but you asked me for the most memorable, and those are them. It's also um, interesting that some people compare the command team as an arranged marriage, and when it works, it really, really works well. I've had the very lucky pleasure of having some amazing COs as part of my command team and amazing brigade commanders as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the best of the command teams is what it's all supposed to be about. When it doesn't work, it's very unfortunate, but uh, it happens. Mind you, the chain of command now, certainly within the Army, spends a great deal of time linking up tenant colonels and chief warrant officers at battalion or regiment level and brigade and area to make sure there's compatibility. So the success rate is very high. Absolutely. So to wrap up, sir, what was the greatest challenge you ever had to overcome? Dealing with the ripple effects of the tragedies that were incurred by the fighting in Afghanistan. So the the fallen, the emotionalism created by that, by trying to help the families of the fallen to whom we can never do enough, and uh, their friends, and the families of the wounded. It was as emotional as you might imagine, being the Army commander and the Army chief and the chain of command present on the tarmac when your soldiers come home uh, to their grieving families, knowing that you sent them there. You, could, you know, you trained them, you chose them, and you sent them overseas. And yes, they volunteer, but it's still your call. Your feelings are completely irrelevant in comparison to what those poor families are going through. Right. And watching, so it was both the greatest challenge and also the greatest causer of respect and, and admiration, watching how the families important themselves, how they dealt with their loss and their tragedy, and how that sort of steadied the whole nation, where quite rightly Canadians are very upset that their people were getting killed and, and grievously injured. And some predicted that we that the nation would lose the will to actually send their folk overseas to fight the good fight, but but we didn't as a nation. In, in, in the main, because of the example portrayed by the grieving families, that that's sort of a, a um, an emotion, a sense that will always stay with me. It's hard to explain. On the other hand, I happen to know Sergeant Major, you know exactly what I'm talking Absolutely, about. Absolutely, sir. But to those who haven't been there or haven't worn a uniform or been to a memorial service, it, it, it's really tough to understand. I've been lucky enough to be on the flip side of that, where people were greeted coming home and where as... I have the dual service of being a police officer and a soldier. I have had the privilege of doing police escorts and bringing the veterans back from Afghanistan and taking them from the airport straight to their door, lights and sirens the whole way. And 
Yeah. It's a completely opposite perspective, but the families involved, people are cheering on the side of the road. The firefighters have come back. The fire department puts out their ladder trucks and have the Canadian flag flying from the ladder truck. Absolutely. It's uh, the opposite experience, but I understand, sir. Absolutely. And everything else pales into sort of not insignificance, but pales in comparison. So that's the, that was a, it wasn't my challenge to meet, but it was a challenge of which I was part. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I mean, we've come to the end of the four questions. I had 35 years in uniform. I don't regret a single moment. And if I had to do it all over again, much to the horror of probably a whole bunch of folk out there, I'd do it all over again. Did you go to Cyprus with the RCHA? I went to Cyprus with two RCHA, and uh, we had E battery, F battery, and three commanders. I think I had some friends on one of the Cyprus tours. I was a young captain. I was um, I was the humanitarian operations officer. It, it was fun, but I was a reclusive monk. I studied. I was studying for my exams called FOE. Right. They're gone now, but it was fun. I enjoyed the tour. Uh, my friends had a good time too. And I think the most funniest part was the way they set up the locals to greet the RCR after you guys left. There were some funny stories about that. But anyhow, oh, there's more than that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me, sir, and getting your story recorded. Well, that's very kind, Sergeant Major, and thank you for doing this. It's, uh, it's, it's very good of you in your very precious spare time, so thank you. Excellent. Thanks for your help, sir. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Cheers. So that was my interview with Lieutenant General Andrew Leslie. I have to thank Colonel Paul Taillon, former commanding officer of the Toronto Scottish Regiment, for putting me in touch with General Leslie. That's essentially how I'm going to get guests for the podcast using my connections that I've already built to line up guests that I believe are interesting for you. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you believe you know somebody who has a compelling story and you would like to suggest them for the podcast, please get a hold of me through my email, cmhp at gmail.com, and I would be glad to set something up with the person that you know of. Like I said, this is a podcast dedicated to veterans of all eras. Currently, I've interviewed people of current eras, but I would like to break out into other eras that I haven't touched on yet. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. NTAG music is provided by the Governor General's Horse Guards. This is a Mike LaCroix production. Views and opinions expressed on the Canadian Military History Podcast are those of the guests of the podcast and do not necessarily reflect the views of Mike LaCroix Productions, the Canadian Armed Forces, or the Government of Canada. All recordings are copyright Mike LaCroix Productions.